Welcome to the Inclusive Chamber podcast. This is Mary Stagaman, your host, coming to you from the Cincinnati, USA Regional Chamber in Cincinnati, Ohio. My guest today is Chris Ciccinelli, president and CEO of Pure Romance, the world's largest in-home party company specializing in relationship enhancement products. Our conversation may touch on the incredible success that Pure Romance has seen since its founding a couple of decades ago, but our focus will be on something much more personal to Chris, the discovery that he was the parent of a transgender child and how that has changed him and his entire family. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So thanks again for uh, including me. Oh, I'm just happy to have you here on on a rather gloomy day in Cincinnati, but there's sun shining right here in this room, and we'll keep that going throughout our conversation. You know, as we start, I was struck just over the last few days in talking to some people, um, the issue of the emergence of transgender persons, and even that word in our conversation has um, really exploded in the last year or two. And um, and just today, I saw an incredible new spot from Procter & Gamble that mm-hmm. elevates and celebrates people who are transgender. And and so I thought it might be helpful in level setting for our listeners to talk specifically about what is transgender, how do you define it, and why do you think it's emerging as such an important part of our conversation? Because I find that some people are just confused. Some people uh, maybe are uh, willfully ignorant about mm-hmm. this, but there's just a, a lot of lack of understanding, I think, about why now and what does this mean, and I don't even understand what the word means. Let's just put this on the table. You know, I'm a parent of a transgender child, but what does that mean? That means I'm constantly learning. There, there has, There's not a lot of information that's out there, right? When you start thinking about the questions and why so much topic around it, I, I can only speak for myself, and I'm gonna, and I'll, I tell everybody the same exact thing. As long as people are open, as long as they are willing to understand, and they're willing to kind of, you know, meet that person somewhere in the middle, because it is, it is, a lot of people are confused. I don't understand, why would your child choose this? I'm like, whoa, 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 what do you mean, why would my child choose to be, you know, transgender? Why would anybody choose to be transgender? It's it's not a choice. It's who they were. It's like, when did you choose to be a female? Mm-hmm. When did I choose to, you know, be, you know, a male? You know, those are the questions that I think sometimes is, it's so confusing because people cannot wrap their head around it. They think, somebody said to me that was pretty high up in the political rankings here in Cincinnati, said to me, um, you know, uh, you know, I feel really bad that social media has turned your child into, uh, you know, wanting to be a transgender because mm. it's it's an infad. Can you believe somebody would even say that? Unfortunately, yes, I can. I mean, that's the stuff that we're that's the that's the stuff that you see on the completely one sided spectrum, and on the other side of the spectrum is people just wanting to have more conversation, wanting to understand. And when you think about it, like you and I are cisgender, right? Like you know, as far as well, I know I am. As far as you know, we've never discussed it, yeah. so you can't say for yeah, sure. Yeah, like right? you're right, yeah. I can't. Um, you know, um, as we were talking to, about our your relationship, right. that's kind of how I right yeah. exactly. Um, when we started talking about this, you know, it, it, it's the I identify with who I was assigned at, at my gender at birth, right? So that's who I'm. LC, you know, was, you know, at birth was assigned the gender of male, but has is living her true truth, which is living as a, as a female. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you know, a lot of people are, are asking questions about that every day about, well, what does this actually mean? 
I think that's the that's the big question that's out there right now is I think that you know, when you talk about gender, we talk about being gender fluid. We talk about all different types of people that are out there. I think the biggest thing is, is if we come from this, from an understanding of love, we come from this understanding, I, I respect where you're at as a human being. And we, you know, I respect, you know, if you respect me as a human being, and that's what we're trying to teach in schools. That's what we try to teach through our foundation. That's where we're trying to teach with, even when we're walking into corporate offices is just meet people where they're at. Yeah, so when we um, when we think about this, uh, almost sort of from a clinical sense, mm-hmm. um, the term that I hear used most often is gender dysphoria, uh, which you, you ro- you're rolling your eyes, and I want to know why. But I think that more commonly, transgender, mm-hmm. um, and we think of this as the bifurcation or the or the confusion or the the sense deep within an individual that this that the gender that they were assigned at birth is not their true gender. Is that a fair shortening of yeah, the I think, definition, or would you expand no, on I, that? No, I would, I, would, I would say that that is accurate. Mm-hmm. I would say the other thing, too, when I hear gender dysphoria, you know, they, you know somebody says that to my child, that, oh, there's gender, gender dysphoria going on because they don't know who they are. No, Elsie mm-hmm. knows who she is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. she knows that mm-hmm. she's, a, mm-hmm. she's a beautiful, young, amazing female, uh, you know, uh, Preteen. That's yeah. who she is. Yeah. And so when somebody goes, "Well, your child's got gender dysphoria," I'm like, "Wait, how can you die? How are you?" It sounds like a disease. It's, doesn't it's it? very, yes. yeah. And, and yeah. Now there is gender dysphoria out there, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But to just say that every transgender has gender dysphoria, I just I do not so, agree with that. So thank you for that, I and I would encourage that. you because I like you said, and like everyone in this space, I'm still learning yeah. and exploring and trying to understand this. Um, and so feel free to correct me yeah. anytime I get off the path of what you have learned, because your knowledge is much broader than mine. I would appreciate yeah. that feedback Thank you. as we continue our conversation. So let's, you know, you've already mentioned LC, and, um, and I know that this hasn't been a terribly long journey for you just no. the last couple of years. So Let's let's kind of walk through that, starting with your earliest sense that something was going yeah. on with your child. You know, it um, since the age of about three, Elsie mm-hmm. um, would always, you know, Daddy, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, and I'm like, No, 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 you're 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 a boy, you're a boy. No, Daddy, I'm I'm a girl, and love to dress up as princess stuff. All that all that uh, conversation would constantly be with Jessica and I, and we kind of would laugh it off. And but then it kept going to four, into five, into even six, and. Mm-hmm. And so finally, at the age of about eight years of age, I was traveling and I came home. And um, my wife is in tears. Um, I said, well, Jessica, what's up? And she goes, well, Elsie's in the other room and she hasn't talked to her, the brothers all day. Nobody's talked to, you know, hasn't had any interaction with anybody. I finally walked in and I said, El, what is going on? Dad? I have no clothes to wear to dinner with grandma. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't, you have a whole closet for, full of clothes. You, you, what are you talking about? They're boy clothes, dad. I don't have anything I can wear and I don't want to go to dinner and I don't want to go out. I just want to wear, if I'm going to go out, I want to wear girl clothes. So finally, I said, fine, get in the car. Jessica goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to, I'm going to take L and we're going to go to Macy's and I'm going to buy them her clothes. And when wears them out, wear them out in public. Jess goes, this is, this is a bad idea. It was like, I said, I've seen this. It's called scared straight. I know that at the end of the day, 
Elle's going to make the decision. They're not going to wear these clothes out in public. There's no way. I get there, go into Macy's, walk inside. I said, hey, where can I find eight-year-old clo girl clothes? And lady goes, for who? I said, for, for them. And so anyway, we, we go up to the, the dressing area. And I said, whatever you pick out, you're going to wear this. And you're going to wear it in public. And that was the moment my life changed. Uh, Elle grabbed a blue skirt, a white top, went into the changing dressing room, came out looked at me, just uh, caught my eyes, twirled around and said, Daddy, don't I look beautiful? Mm. And as a father, I had nothing else to say. I couldn't even, I was emotionally out. I, I, I had an outer body experience I'll never, ever forget. I'll never forget that moment as long as I lived. And all of a sudden, this child that was always like, never said a word, never talked to anybody, you know, was always like really shy around people. All of a sudden, we walked into that restaurant that day and they literally ran into that restaurant, strutting, walked right up to my mom, walked right up to my, my wife and started leading the conversation at dinner. And we are all looking and going, who is this person that just showed up? And that was our first introduction to our child finding her true authentic self. And people were like, how did you know then? I said, I didn't know then. I just go back to that moment. That's where the journey really, really started for us. I was so confused. I remember going home that night and laying in my bed and, and my wife and I talked and we talked till two o'clock in the morning, crying and talking and just, you feel like you did something wrong as a parent. You feel like you you weren't home enough. I would travel. Did I not throw enough ball? Did I uh, did I do something, you know, uh, uh, as, as a parent, did I mess this person? up those are well, all the you feelings started that day believing you had three sons right yeah yeah i started that day thinking that this was my firstborn was a son and it was you know and at the end of that day it took me a while to get on board it took me a while that i really didn't know what to do and i remember reaching out the first time i reached out to children's hospital i reached out to to uh, dave uh, to michael fisher and i said michael i, I need some help i don't know what is going on but I gave him some of the things that we were facing and he said we have a clinic that's at children's why don't you go there and I remember going to that clinic and and it was a transgender clinic and I'm like wait wait my child's not transgender maybe it's you know maybe they've got this mindset of they like to be in girl clothes okay maybe that's what it is but the more we went there they put me at ease and said this is a journey Elsie's on a journey on a path we're going to we're going to go meet with psychologists. We're going to talk about, you know, this with her. We're going to make her feel, you know, who she is. Let's let her identify if she's transgender or not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not my, uh, what I should put on. It's not what you're going to think. L will come to that conclusion. And through time and through all the, the, the different meetings and things like that, she became more and more confident of who she was. And this kid went from the bottom of their class, not talking to anybody, to now in the top 10% of her class and talking and leading and have friends over all the time. We never had a friend over, ever. She never had anybody over at the house. Didn't have anybody to talk to at school. And from the time now, from eight to blossom to who she is today, I sit and watch some of the most, she is the most confident and strongest person I think I've ever met in my entire life, ever. And I sit back and I, I know she's a different type. She's in a bubble. 
because she's got a loving, supporting family. But there's a lot of people that out there that go, I cannot believe that you would allow your eight-year-old to make a decision for themselves. I said, so what you're telling me is that you would you would rather me lose my relationship because of my my beliefs or my thoughts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. lose my relationship with my mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. or better yet, my child mm-hmm. do something like take their life? So... And we know that the suicide rates are much, much higher in this population because of the very thing you just described, the the unwillingness of families, of community circles, of of others to to accept and acknowledge this. I'm I'm curious because you did mention the incredible transgender clinic at Children's, which I know started, they thought they'd see a few kids a week and they're seeing hundreds now. 1,500. Yeah. It's just amazing that it came at the right time and how important it's become. I'm curious about, to the point you made about how could you let an eight-year-old do this, Mm -hmm. what have they taught you about what an eight-year-old knows about his or herself or themselves? They know earlier than eight. I mean, they they know who they are before. I mean, when when I was having a conversation with a three-year-old, they... they she knew who she was, mm-hmm. and 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 you know it was we didn't know who she was, but you know who you are inside, and that's mm-hmm. exactly. And that, that they said each person, you know, like I have a friend that called me and goes, "Oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast about Elsie, and I, I, my 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 son's you know dressing up in you know princess gear, you know, is my child going to be transgender? <laughs> like, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I, I I said this is a this has been a journey. Elsie is. Uh, the clinic has taught me that the they make their decisions for themselves. It's not us choosing for them. It's not how. It's not this nature versus nurture. It, it's who they are. It is literally who they are as people. You talked about that night when you were going out to dinner, mm-hmm. and was that the hardest part of this journey? No. No. The what? hardest part was mourning the loss of something you thought you had. I wondered about that. It was you mourned a loss. I mean, here I was, you know, uh, high school, you know, all three sports, um, college football player. Champion football player. Yeah. And I would say I uh, there was a good solid month of just nothing but crying. Was that grief? It was, it was sadness. It was mourning. It mm-hmm. was, I went through a ton of emotions, mad at myself, angry at myself. It was one of the darkest and loneliest periods because you felt like you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. But what really came out of this was the most beautiful thing ever. So you mourned a loss of something you thought you had, but what you yeah. found is that there was this birth of something so much better and so much brighter and so much more love. I mean, Elsie would never sit in and, and hug or hold or, you know, talk to anybody. Like that was not her, anything. Now, you know, she can't wait to come curl up next to you on the couch and and to be able that the love that I have now or what I thought I had before, the love now is thousandfold. And I think she knows because she's safe with us and she knows that we love her and that we care about her. And that's what I tell, you know, parents that call. I get ten to fifteen calls a week mm. from people just asking questions. Like I have a friend that, you know, has a friend and and they want to know what what do you do in this situation? And I always point them back to this love love them for where they're at and if you do that and if you make them feel safe and if you make them not have to explain themselves to you why you i don't ask elsie why she why do you feel this way i don't ask her that i that it why i don't ask you why you feel like who you are i just love you for who you are and you know i respect you for who you are 
And that's what I tell them. I'm like, don't try to get into deep conversations with them. Just be there for them. If they are willing to talk, they'll tell you. And I've had some great conversations. I'm hitting those pre-teens right now with Elle. Oh, which yeah. is Which now, would be tough no matter what. It's no matter yeah. what. And then you think about, you know, being a, a transgender, you know, pre-teen, it, it throws a little bit of a curveball because people are starting to date and, you know. Yeah, and, and, and we should probably say that being transgender is not a determination of sexual orientation, that they are two separate things. Yes. It's who you go to bed as is is who you are, and, you know, and who do you go to bed with is your sexual, you know, nature. I mean, that's the best way I try to tell people. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. easy. To, like, if you think about it, like, it's, you know, who I go to bed as is my gender. You know, I go to bed, and then who I go to bed with is my sexuality. Because I get that a lot. Well, so is Elle going to like boys or is Elle going to like girls? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what her sexual preference. Well, she's a girl. She she's, probably doesn't know yet. Yeah. Right? I'm like, and I don't even <laughs> and think about goodness, that. Right? That's yeah, a whole like, other trauma yeah, for you people, as a father. But, but people ask right? those yeah. questions because they, they feel like I'm like, the, I know so much. I'm like, yeah. I, that's not how it works. I'm yeah. like, how did you know when you like girls or boys? I mean, that's a discussion that I'm not willing ready to have right now. And, and to be quite frank, yeah. I think that that, it, that will come when she's ready and she'll decide. So I have two more questions about yeah. about L and um, and then I want to take this out to kind of a, a yeah. broader yep. discussion about the foundation, but also about what this might mean to our community that yeah. we serve, the businesses that we serve here in, in Cincinnati and beyond. And so, in reading about your story, I was struck by um, the timing of this and at, that it arrived at what appears to be an important and critical time in a child's development, and that. Knowing this before a child reaches puberty has a profound effect on a successful transition. And without getting super yep. technical about it, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned in yeah. that respect? Yeah. Well, you know, first thing is that trans kids deserve a safe and you know equitable you know place in society, right? We all we know that so they can thrive. And one of the big areas that that I have learned through this process is, you know, Elsie gets. A, she has a shot that she gets every month or every couple months. And that basically is like the pause button, right? It just kind of suppresses puberty. Um, so she has the ability to kind of make decisions because, you know, earlier on you start, you know, moving into pu- puberty, you start developing an Adam's apple, you start developing, you know, broader shoulders. There's a lot of things that start happening. And so this just gives the child the time to really kind of like slow that process down mm-hmm. because I we want uh, we want her to be able to pass in society mm-hmm. I mean I hate that you know we that people always ask me what's that mean and I mean like it, we do live in a society right now that you know people will look and go oh we you know how, does, is this what, a yeah. who is she is she mm-hmm. you know and so or we, what is that what is right? that yeah and that sometimes is something that I tell families all the time you know if, if it's something that you want to talk about or learn about, it would be very, very interesting for you to go to, to children's, find out, go through the different steps from psychiatric you know, perspective and working with psychologists and talking through some of this. Mm-hmm. That's how, mm-hmm. exactly how we learned. And I, I tell everybody every day, I'm still learning. I, but I, here's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm learning 
um, what I need to do for my child, and I leave the rest of the professional development to the professionals. And I'm, I, I, and I always steer people to go see somebody to be able to talk to somebody that knows more than me. I can give you my point of view from a parent's point of view. I can give you my point of view from uh, leading a foundation uh, that's supporting transgender youth because what I was really frustrated about, nobody was helping this cause. Nobody was working with these children and I couldn't sit by one more day and see the suicide rate and see that they didn't have people to talk to. And and I really frustrated me that, you know, that yes, there's a lot of conversation now about it, but mm-hmm. it took, and I say this and I'm going to just be transparent, a, a, a wealthy cisgender comes out and now, you know, we, we put money around it and we start talking about it. And now all of a sudden, you know what? People are, are starting to listen, but there's been so many people fighting this fight way before we even we oh, even yeah. got into this, yeah. and that's where it saddens me because I I feel like so many people have tried tried tried, and you know I, I said this the day we launched at the Queen City Club I said I have a microphone, and I'm going to take the microphone the platform that I have and I'm going to utilize this not just for you know for my my business I'm going to use this now for what I really think I was put on this earth to do, which is I'm gonna fight for my child and I'm gonna fight for other children that are in the same situation so we can learn through education, so we can learn through making sure that we have open minds. You can't fix stupid, but you sure can educate people. I'm really struck by that because just last evening, I um, you've become one of the strongest forms of allyship, you know, you're exhibiting that. And um, just last evening, I was at a dinner at the Islamic Center here in Cincinnati. The keynote speaker was Rahima Abdulalim, the Associate General Counsel and the Office of the President in Washington. She is a self-described black female Muslim woman. And in the course of her conversation, she said something that was really powerful. And I think relates to what you just said. She said that some of her best advisors in her early career when she was a young lawyer and she was working out in a private law firm were um, Jewish white men. And she said sometimes people would say, well, you know, what could they give you? I mean, they, you know, they, they don't have your identity. You know, how could they possibly understand what it's like to be a black female and a Muslim black female in America? And she said, they don't have my identity, but they have my best interest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're just displaying, Chris. You can't be LC, but you have begun to act not only in her best interest, but in the best interest of children like her. And also, I, I would venture to say, anyone who is is um, struggling with this. And, and your comment about leaving it to the experts, there's so much about this that is not just physical, it's social and emotional and psychological. And and for a child, it feels to me and you're, that the trauma is a part of this for them too. So you went through a trauma and yep. you had to grieve. Mm-hmm. But many children and even adults go through trauma as well. Mm-hmm. And so having that safe space, which isn't necessarily within the family, mm-hmm. you know, it's that, it's that professional, that clinical person who can provide that additional... 
space where all the things that you cannot say, mm. and there will be many t- things, as we all find with children, many yep. things in your life that Elsie will never be able to say to you because you're her father. Yep. You know, so I, I just, I, I really love that. I love the fact that um, that you're thinking about this in a very holistic way. So I think that that, um, my last question about her experience, if you if you can talk about this, is a little bit about, you mentioned she has friends over the house oh, yeah. now and stuff. How have other kids been about this? Uh, you know, other kids have been amazing. It's not the kids. It, yeah. it really is not. I mean, they 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 love each other for who they are. They, they they're they're friends. They grow up. I mean, we have so many uh, friends that are even outside the school that you know Elsie hangs with with you know in the in the community. So um, kids are great. They you know yeah they're all they're you know like any like preteen right. They're all going to have their little times where they have little arguments or whatever, you know. But it's never about oh man I'm not I'm in an argument because Elsie's transgender. You know that does that's not ever the case. It was hard in the beginning to uh, explain to the parents, right? Because they had a lot of questions. But as they have got to see LC grow and develop, they have they have really just you know been fantastic in the community. So I would say it's 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 great. Yeah, that's that's terrific. I'm so glad to hear it. So I'm I'm interested in, and you alluded to this already, but let's talk more about why you and Jessica, your wife, were moved to start this foundation, the Living with Change Foundation. Uh, it was pretty simple. I, we knew that we needed some medical, uh, you know, help here. We thought about moving. We did. We thought about moving to LA. We thought about moving to Chicago, New York, to go to a place that we thought would be a more open community. We thought about, you know, where El could get better, you know, medical care, you know, and so we looked. We started going everywhere and taking a look. Um, my business, you know, I love being in Cincinnati. This is my home. But you I never want the to world, be. Yeah, right? I travel the world, so I could be anywhere. But my most important thing was not that time was my business, which was my child. And it was one night. Jessica and I sat back and we decided that we're running from what we should be doing. If this is our home and we both grew up here, we need to make sure we have the best, not clinic, the best center when it comes to a center of excellence for uh, transgender health. And that's what we decided that we really want to do, get the best therapists, get the best doctors, get the best, you know, whatever it might be inside of this. Also create some of the best practices by utilizing, you know, um, you know, they would always have Elsie's name as her, you know, birth name. And, you know, we said, no, no, this is the preferred name we want to be able to call. So even working with the hospital on creating steps when L comes that they, they call her Elsie, not what her birth name was. That to me was the biggest thing as we said, let's do this. And we have an unbelievable resource, Children's Hospital, here in our town. Let's go ahead and let's do it with them. Let's partner. I think when I met with Michael Fisher, I think he probably thought I was going to come in and uh, give him a check for $100,000. And I said, no. I'm gonna. I want. We're gonna put two million dollars, and I'm gonna raise three million dollars, which we will finish that raise at the end of of the of 2020, and we are gonna build a center of excellence here for care. We want to make sure that this market, Cincinnati, we have such great people here. We have such you know unbelievable businesses and business owners that are so open to diversity and inclusion. And why am I running to a different city instead of making the city we were we grew up in yeah. the best ever? Um, and that everybody comes here knows that you're, you're you have love and people that are open, and that was the reason that we decided to do this 
because we were really wanting to make sure we had the proper medical care for these trans kids. When we first started, there was like 700. Now there's 1,500 kids that, you know, children that we are going through that. regularly use the clinic. Yeah. 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 And so we know that this is something. And what we want to do, too, is we want to make sure that we are a place of learning so we can pr- pass this. I had Children's Minneapolis that came in for our gala. I have Children's Boston that wants to come in. I have all these different children's hospitals that want to look at what we're doing because they need help, they need guidance, but they also need to figure out what type of research needs to be done. So finally, there's, there's doctors talking together and there's money to do it with, which is even more important. Um, you know, I, I, I just am struck this moment by the parallel between Living With Change and your mother's foundation, yeah. um, which which does is driving research and awareness and understanding on women's health issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the apple hasn't fallen very far from the tree here, Chris. No. You know? it's, it's really, it's wonderful to see. So if the foundation is successful... When it's successful. Yes, sorry. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. (laughs) When the foundation is successful, what will be different? What will be different? I I imagine that our goal of making this place better in which we found it, I think that every day to help people love and respect people for who they are, uh, not for a gender, not for um, a, a race or an ethnicity, but just to love people for who they are. And and that's what I think more than anything. The foundation is not just about you know transgender children. It's about teaching people how to love people. It's teaching people how to respect people. It's teaching people how to how to have much more than that. That's what I really look at. And I also look at making sure that we give more people a safe platform that they go to work, they feel safe. They go to their they go to an airport bathroom and they feel safe. They go to um, a restaurant, they feel safe. That that that's when I know the work is going to be done. I know the work will be done when we can have more and more people be educated and learn. So we're not there yet. No. So when you think about other business leaders, um, just right here in our own community, yeah. Chris, who may have employees who are themselves transitioning, or maybe parents of yeah. a child in the process, um, or just struggling with a child who's trying to figure out identity and looking for resources and looking for the possibility of support or at least a place where you can talk about this. I mean, what would you say to business leaders who might say, well, I don't understand why I have to make all these accommodations or all, you know, this seems very complicated and it's all about this one person and, you know, and on a team of a couple thousand and, um, and why does this matter? And, and what does it tell us about inclusion generally? It's, it's culture. It shouldn't be safe in a workspace or for 99% of people. It's got to be for 100%. Because can I tell you that one person that's not feeling unsafe of, you know, I got to change it for this one person, that one person, there are people that are in your office that support that one person. And when you don't show support, you don't show love, you don't show that you care, you don't meet them where they're at, those other 10 people will latch on and those 10 people will tell 10 more. And it becomes a it becomes a problem inside of your culture because it shows that, do you really meet people where they're at? Do you really care? It, or is it just a slogan? You just tell everybody that, you know, you hope it, you know, that you have the best culture, you have the best whatever. It shouldn't be for 99. It should be for 100% of people. I think that the CEOs that are in Cincinnati, the one thing I can tell you, um, the CEO Procter & Gamble invited us, David Taylor invited us mm-hmm. to come to uh, an inclusion summit that they had. And that was the moment I saw every, you know, CEO in this town 
get together and start having a conversation about diversity and inclusion and you know starting to have the conversations that's huge for us that's huge for us as leaders to make sure that we are all doing this together if we can all row in the same direction can you imagine how much power that we could have and how much better we make this region it, it's it's huge, but we have to be able to have the tough conversation. We have to be able to have the hard conversation. You have to live a little uncomfortable for everybody to get comfortable. I'm not sure that it isn't a lot uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that sometimes we have to go way outside our comfort zone to have these conversations. You do. And um, we here at the Chamber believe that um, it is through those conversations that we're going to get to the kind of future city that we want yeah. to be, um, one that does embrace everyone and allows everyone to reach their full potential. Yep. I mean, don't you, can't you, when you think about it, we can do this, but we have to have those true, real conversations. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I think that that is something that we all as leaders, if they're listening to your, your podcast and they're out there and they're doing something on the weekend, it's like, how do we, how do we challenge each other to really, to really have uh, true authentic uh, conversations and not just these conversations that, yeah, we want to do this and yeah, we want to do that. And, but nothing ever comes from it and, and really kind of stick to something that we all have an obligation to make this place better when we leave it. You know, we, we, we came in, our job is to make this better and safer for the next generation and the next generation after that. And I truly believe if we row in the same direction and we do do those conversations and we do have them, I think the work that you do, I think the work that you do here mm -hmm. is hugely needed. And I appreciate that because I know sometimes probably like you, I feel like I'm pushing a boulder up a hill. <laughs> and I, 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 just, don't, I don't know that feeling. I, 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 I just, and I sometimes feel like yeah. I, you feel alone, you feel by yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you just, you find five other people come with you and it starts with one and then you get another one. And so far that boulder, you know, yeah, it, it, it's making it easier. Or you get an email, other. and I'm sure this happens to you all the time. You get an email from someone that just says, thank you, or, yeah. or I see you. I see the work you're doing, and, and you get that sense of appreciation mm -hmm. for what it's worth. You know, I said at the beginning that we might talk for just a few minutes about Pure Romance and um, the, the story of that company and its growth and, you know, all do credit to your mother, Patty Brisbane, mm -hmm. who founded it um, on a shoestring and um, had this remarkable idea about helping um, to grow women's empowerment through um, fully embracing their sexuality. Mm -hmm. It would be the way I would put it. You might have a better way to say it. And then you're experiencing coming in early in your career mm -hmm. to help grow the company and building it into a company now that is a couple hundred million yeah. dollars in revenue yep. annually and uh, an incredible reach. And so I'm curious if you believe that your pure romance experience helped to prepare you for what you're doing now with Living With Change and with LC and in what way? You know, it's so funny. I don't know if it was my pure romance experience or my experience, you know, with my mom. My mom is a very strong. Well, they're, they're, pretty, yes. they're pretty strongly yeah, aligned, yeah. You know, aren't they? I, and yeah. listen, I was raised by an unbelievable woman, right? So she taught me how to lead, not follow. Took, taught me how to take chances, right? Taught me how to take care and respect money. Uh, taught me the best thing is, this, you know, to make sure you do more listening and less talking. <laughs> and I think that that has, that has really helped me. Um, through this process and and my mom was a strong lover like meaning when I say she loves strong I mean she she is passionate she is you know a, a fighter and and that's exactly the values that she instilled in us is 
hey, be a fighter. You know, be passionate for what it is that you're going to go after and do. And that's exactly what's helped me be a, a, a better CEO. That's helped me be a better father. It's helped me be a better significant other. Mm-hmm. And it's also helped me with, you know, being able to be strong enough to, to, to go after and be passionate to fight for my child and fight for other children that don't have a voice out there. That's, I would say it was my upbringing by my mom. I'm, I'm reminded of a, a part of your bio which really struck me that talked about your early development and your time as a football player. Mm-hmm. And, and it says the crucible, an interesting choice of word, but the crucible of college football taught you to be self-disciplined, to perform a specific role on a team, mm-hmm. and to study and conquer an opponent. Your opponent today perhaps is ignorance. Yep. What would you say to people who just don't get it yet? The people that don't get it yet, um, and this happens every day, just be open to a conversation. It doesn't have to be that you're right or I'm right, or but just be open to having some talk or be open to learning. Um, you know, I, I think that that's the biggest thing. And I think so many people, because they don't understand and because they don't like change, um, they immediately shut the gates to opportunity, opportunity to find some really cool things out in life, opportunity to find some new friends, opportunity to, to love a, a different types of people. I, I really truly believe that you're right. It is it is that ignorance. And, and um, I, I'm reminded of, of Brene Brown. I don't know if you mm, know Brene. I love Brene okay. Brown, and yeah. so one of the things that she said in one of her books was, it's about the man in the arena, right? And I kind of mm-hmm. live this mm-hmm. um, each and every day. Even though you don't know what the outcome is going to be that day, you still got to show up and you still got to compete. And that's exactly, you know, what I think that, you know, I, I'm trying to instill in my family. I'm trying to instill into all of the people that I meet mm-hmm. is that, you know what, there are going to be people that are not going to want, they're not going to want to, they're going to want to tear you down. They're not going to want to see it your way. And you don't know the outcome, but if you continue to be able to have and talk and, and open and, and create, you know, healthy, loving relationships inside your business and outside of your business, you can do some really, really great things. And I think that getting in and competing every day has been one of the biggest strengths that my mom has taught me. And it's always reminded me when I see that quote in Brene Brown, no matter what the outcome is, you got to still get in that arena. You, you still, still got to compete. Yeah. There is no certainty. No, You don't know if you're going to win or lose today. And there's a lot of people sitting in the cheap seats and they're throwing a lot of garbage at you. Yeah. And they want to tell you how you should or should not live your life. And they want to tell you how you should or should not raise your children. And I will tell you, I don't look at those critics. I don't look at that because it's cheap and I don't need to pay attention to those folks. And that's what I tell a lot of people. You keep doing you. You keep staying the course. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I heard you say, too, that because I always want to be careful that we don't disrespect the people who are who are just not in the same place that you are in or mm-hmm. that, no. that any of us are in, that 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 understanding sometimes comes because of the crucible, because yeah. of that moment in our development where the light dawns or the the opening is created to start to change. Yeah. Uh, I think we saw that um, dramatically over the last couple of decades with the increased rights for the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community in general. And mm-hmm. so much of that was because as more people came out, 
it was your brother, it was your cousin, yeah. it was you know your father or your mother or whatever. And so I think um, we always want to leave open the possibility that you know I started this last bit of our conversation by saying people just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I, I did not say that to be disrespectful. Yeah. You know I think that we have to understand that that not everybody's at the point in their lives when they can actually um, be open to this, but we would wish for them that opportunity. And I think it comes back to what you said earlier, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, it's all about um, coming in with an attitude of love. Yeah. And I think that's true, whether it's at home or in the community or in business. Yep. Any last words from you as we wrap up today? No, I just got to tell you, thank you for having me today. And and if anybody wants information or that somebody's struggling, you know, for, you know, wanting to find support or ask questions, you know, you, you can always uh, send us an email at livingwithchange.org. It is an, you know, an area that we, I'm, I'm constantly on because um, it's just something that, you know, we, we, we want to be there. And if it's, it doesn't matter where at in the world. Uh, so if you have any, any questions or anybody needs anything, that's what we'll, we're, we're there for. Well, that's terrific. So my thanks go to Chris Chickenelli and the Living with Change Foundation. As he said, you can learn more about the foundation and reach out to them at livingwithchange.org. This has been another episode of the Inclusive Chamber podcast. Our producer is Fernanda Horner, and I'm Mary Stagaman, your host. For more episodes of the Inclusive Chamber, visit CincinnatiChamber.com, Inclusive Chamber.